Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. My name is Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I'm going to go over some common questions around cybersecurity, cybersecurity jobs, and just kind of general questions I get via LinkedIn, uh, like all the time. And, and a lot of them are the same questions over and over again. So I wanted to do a quick episode on that. Before we jump into that, I wanted to talk about the Cyber Life TV show. Uh, the plan was for it to come out in November. Obviously, you see this is uh, this episode is publishing uh, in early December, and the the channel itself where I'm hosting my show had some technical delays. Um, so now they're telling me that it's probably going to be uh, in January. I don't know a date yet, and I won't know that till I think either the middle part of here in December or or near the end of the month. So I, I won't know specifically when the show is launching. I know they're just telling me sometime in January now. Um, but they do have the, you know, the editing, all that stuff done. So uh, for those of you that are listening that have went to cyberlife.tv and put in your uh, email address or a fake email that you can um, check at least, I will be sending out, once I get a copy of the actual final episodes, uh, I won't, obviously I won't send you the whole episode, but I will take parts of that just so you can get kind of a sneak peek. Um, also have a lot of photos I, I, I need to go through from kind of around the filming uh, when we we're in studio. So just kind of going through, I'll probably need to do some editing on those photos as well, just to uh, obfuscate some of the children involved so nobody knows their identity. Um, but just know that things will be coming on that aspect as well uh, pretty pretty soon here, uh, probably within the next week or two. So let's jump right into this episode and just talk through questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the question, and then I'll just basically give you my, my answer or my uh, typical response to that particular question. So one of the questions I get is, is it's phrased different ways, but generally it's it's kind of like, how do I know what cybersecurity job job I should do, right? I'm I'm new, I'm excited about cybersecurity because I hear this term or I watch a movie, and I see there's sh a shortage in the media, like so, how do I know what job I should do? The easiest thing for you to do is really, it's kind of generic answer, but like try everything, because I didn't know that I liked hacking till I tried it. Right. I, I didn't know I liked forensics until I tried it. So you, you just kind of have to try stuff. And if you're new to everything, like just start off with the free or low cost option. Don't go spend twenty thousand dollars on some boot camp someplace like actually just go to like, you know, an online course provider like Udemy or Cyberry or uh, Station X is another one. Z Security is another one that all focus on cybersecurity related topics. Um, so there's a lot of that content out there. Udemy is another good source for um, being able to get a bunch of low cost or free courses. So start with the lowest cost there and just try different things. Another thing you can do is actually going to the NIST NICE framework, looking at the KSAs, so the knowledge, skills, and abilities, and specifically looking at the skills for the job roles that are listed there, and then identifying what skills you actually have right now and what skills you are kind of interested in, right? Like what kind of topic areas? Is it project management maybe? Um, there's a lot of different skills in there. So uh, th those are kind of the two ways I would go about it. I would number one, do any free or low cost resources and just try to soak up as much as I can and play around with as much as I can to get the exposure because then I can really identify what I'm actually interested in, right? When, when we come from just like watching a Hollywood movie most people are like, I want to be a hacker. But then when they like learn about maybe identity and access management, they get excited about that, right? But they're not exposed to that through the movie because, you know, hacking sells. So that's why I say try to get exposure to as many things as possible and always keep your budget in mind. Don't go putting yourself in a financial um, debt situation just to learn things. You should always 
do the lowest uh, cost, at least initially, until you can get that cyber job. And then the second part of that, the NIST NICE framework, go check that out and uh, check out the, the KSAs. Another thing you could actually do as well is just looking at job descriptions. Uh, but take those with a grain of salt because a lot of the entry-level ones are saying you need CISP which takes five years if you don't know what, what that certification is. You gotta have five, year, if you're, five years experience. So that's not entry level, right? So just keep that in mind, but that is another source as well to, to look at that. Um, another question I get is like, how do I find cybersecurity jobs? That's kind of, it, it just varies. It honestly varies on the country you're in, the area of the country you live, like here in the US, if you're living in, in some very small town like I grew up in, or if you live in a big city. But generally speaking, I would, oh, number one, thing I would say is LinkedIn. Network, search for jobs on there. Uh, the secondary place I would look is is finding vendors that sponsor security conferences. So look at Black Hat and DEF CON and look at even uh, AWS reInvent conferences and see what companies sponsor them. Then go to those companies' websites and actually look at their career section. I never really wasted time on job boards like Dice and Indeed and Monster. I always found that if I put resumes out there on those sites or apply to jobs, it was just spam. It was just spammy and I never got positive responses. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Millions of people are applying for the same job on those sites. So I never really did it that way. Um, and so I, 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 do, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not something I would recommend. I wouldn't waste your time on job boards usually. I would use LinkedIn. I would... Uh, look at the actual company websites and see what jobs they have that that closely match your skill set you're never gonna a lot of companies look for a unicorn right but like there's no unicorn no, nobody has all those skills that are in a job description um i i've never seen it you know and some of these job descriptions have they want 35 phds and they're paying you 10 bucks an hour so just linkedin look at the and then go to actual companies that have sponsored conferences and look at their job listings and then also the, the other part of that is going back to LinkedIn and making sure you network with people, um, especially at companies you think you're interested in working at. And that's how you have position yourself the best to get that, to, to uh, find those cybersecurity jobs. Now, that being said, I get another question that's similar to that that says, you know, it's basically how do I get a cybersecurity job, right? Like how do I actually get the job? Number one, you're probably already doing something around security. No matter what job you're doing right now, there's probably some aspect that you're doing around security. So you just need to take a step back and think like, okay, well, what do I do in my day at work? And how might that relate to securing data or or uh, being responsible for data or securing my login credentials or, you know, doing a, a process or following a process properly or, or whatever, right? Like there's, there's different ways to tie that into security. So when we talk about how do I get a cybersecurity job, number one, take an inventory of your current skill set and what you're doing in your job. And then I would actually go over to the NIST NICE framework and search for those skills and see what job roles are containing those skills. And then you can read more about the other skills in those job roles and see what skills you might need to get. Other place I would go is job description, see what skills you match up with in that job description. Um, but again, a lot of times you're already working in some capacity in security. What I find with that question though, is people want cybersecurity and the job title. And that can be very challenging, especially with no IT experience, no security experience at all. Something I always recommend people do, and this is up to you if you want to do it, but I would say like start your own company and, and here in the U.S., and let me just preface and say this is not legal advice, uh, but here in the U.S., 
you could just be a, a, a solopreneur, right? You know, you, you don't have to actually form a legal entity. It's always recommended, but you don't have to do that to have your own business. So what you could do is you could create your own consulting company, right? Even though you have no experience, that's totally fine, right? There's, you just need to be one chapter ahead of your customers, you know? Yes, it'd be great if you had experience and all this stuff, but honestly, if you're just talking about something like cybersecurity awareness, I mean, come on, there's books on that. There's YouTube videos. Like, you can learn stuff like that, the fundamental things people should be doing. And even though there's a million different videos out there on it, they want to learn from you, right? Because you're, the way you present it is, is different, and that's the way that that particular individual responds to. So start a consulting company uh, you know, on the side and just give yourself a title, cybersecurity consultant, right? Now you've got a job title with cybersecurity in it. Now you've got a job title with cybersecurity on it that you put on your resume as well because, hey, who really cares if it's your company or somebody else's? Can you do the job? Do you have the skill set? Yes. Okay, great. You're hired. So that's that's the way I would do that to, to actually get that cybersecurity job. Number one, inventory where you're currently at because a lot of times you're already doing security stuff in your job and you may just need to negotiate with your boss and say, can we change this job title to X? You know, Can we change it to, instead of network engineer, can we call it cybersecurity network engineer? And if they say no, say, all right, well, can we talk about a raise then, right? Let's talk about a raise. So you just have to play with that. You're gonna have to do some negotiation sometimes. Um, but that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, the, just keep in mind that cybersecurity is, is an entire gamut, right? It's a very broad term. It's not, there's not like, you don't just say, I've got a cybersecurity job and you have like one job and that's that's it, right? I mean, people usually focus on hacking with cybersecurity and that's just one very sub-niche area of the entire uh, industry, as we'll call it. So that's what I would do is uh, for the question, how do I get a cybersecurity job? Um, what things should I learn first when I'm going for a specific job? And that's another question I get a lot. It really depends on the job, right? If, if your work, if you're trying to get a job as like a, a pen tester, then it's good to get information and knowledge around, you know, compliance and auditing and stuff. But is that as important as actually getting your technical skills up? No, right. You need to be able to actually perform a pen test and do re reporting and all that stuff. So it's not, you know, you have to kind of weigh like, what should I learn first? I really, even though people come to me all the time, like I want to be a hacker, right? I want to be a pen tester. How do I get my first job as a pen tester? I always tell them like, get something else first. Like don't, you know, everyone wants to be a hacker because it's cool, it's fun, la-di-da. But the reality is it's, it's challenging for you to get that first job as a pen tester. It's a little easier to go on the defensive side first, get an analyst type of role, SOC analyst, cybersecurity analyst, whatever, and then get a little experience and then transition over to doing pen testing work. It's a lot easier to do that. So when we talk about what like what should I learn first, I'm just going to give a broad answer here and say learn the fundamentals. Learn the fundamentals. If you don't know how network communication works, if you don't know the OSI model, if, if I ask you in an interview, talk me through the OSI model. You know, and I say top to bottom, right? So then the, the little uh, mnemonic you memorized, the little acronym, isn't going to help you, right? So now you need to actually know it. So walk me through. Walk me through sending an email through all the layers of the OSI model. You need to know that stuff. That's fundamental. How do you need to know fundamental Linux commands, right? How do you create a user? How do you give that user permissions? How do you create files, right? How do you create a folder? I mean, simple things like that. How do you list files in a directory? Very fundamental stuff that you should know how to do. Same with Windows, you should know some PowerShell. Just 
my answer to that question, it's very generic and very broad, but the reality is if you don't know the fundamentals of the job role that you're looking to get, then why, why as a hiring manager would I ever hire you? That doesn't make any sense. Uh, another question I get is actually, how do I get management jobs? And this question surprisingly comes from entry-level people like all the time. Look, if you're just getting in the industry, don't expect to be a manager. And the reason I say that is not because you don't know how to manage it. You're probably a great manager in whatever your current role is, but you need to understand what's actually occurring. And as a manager in the security realm, you really need to be able to mentor your team. Does that mean you need to be the technical expert on every possible thing? No, but you really should have some quote unquote street credibility and have some technical skills so you can have those intelligent conversations with your team. So you're not constantly asking them like, what does this mean? What is defense in depth, right? Like you should have some experience. So how do I get management jobs? Number one, get experience first. Then most management jobs are going to be looking for a college degree. So you'll want to then, if you don't have one, get your bachelor's degree um, at a lot of larger companies. That's a requirement. And so that's how you get into management. Um, the other thing I would say is focus on your leadership skills as well. So if you're not a natural leader, if you're not naturally good at public speaking, work on those things as you're getting experience in, in security. So that way, when you've got a few years experience, then you could start moving into those more managerial types of roles. Another question I get a lot is like, do I need any IT um, background slash experience before I go into a cybersecurity role? Uh, yes and no. Uh, and I know that you're like, what? He just said yes and no. Well, Yes, for technical roles, it's a really, really good idea for you to have some background in IT so you can understand, you know, again, the fundamentals, right? Networking, how does how does a packet travel across the network? What happens? Um, what happens when I, when I send communication? What happens in Linux when I do this? What happens in Windows when I do this or Mac? What happens when a user does this or that? What happens on the web server? All that stuff's fundamental stuff. That's, you know, you should have that if you're trying to get into technical roles now. That being said, you can get into cybersecurity jobs without technical skills. You can do auditing, you can do compliance type of stuff. Uh, those are good ways to get in. You can do even like a business analyst uh, does security stuff. So there's, there's ways to get in without having those technical skills, but it's a good idea to get them. Even if you don't have them right now, you can still get a job, but it's a good idea to get them so you can actually evolve your career and actually grow in your career. Um, another question I get a lot around the job side of things is how do I actually transition from like an IT role to that more dedicated like security role or even that role with cybersecurity in the job title? And it really depends on your organization. You you have to, some people want everything like their way and that's great and that's really awesome. However, you have to understand that sometimes you're going to have to be flexible so for example, let's say I want to transition from IT into a, a role that says cybersecurity in the job title, but my current company doesn't have that. And I go to my boss and I try to negotiate for a, a new job title. And they're just like, look, my hands are tied. I can't, we can't change this. That's just how it's designed. We, we can't change it. I have to make a decision at that point. I'm going to stay with this company and accept that I can't move into that more dedicated role. Or, or for example, let's say there's not a security team at the company so I, you know, yeah, I'm on the IT team and we do security stuff, but I really want to move into a security team so I can grow my career. I have to make a decision. It's not going to be my way because it's not my company, right? I, I don't, it's someone else's company, someone else's dream. If I don't control the company, then I have no say. So if I try to negotiate, try to get the job title change or try to get into a security team that doesn't exist and I get a no, 
then I have to step back and say, all right, well, do I want to leave this company? If yes, let me look at companies that maybe match what I like about this company that have that opportunity. Or maybe I need to move. Maybe that's the only company in my area that does that stuff and I need to move to a bigger city or a different part of the country to have opportunities. I have to make a grown-up decision at that point to actually go ahead and do that. So it's not going to always be your way. You're going to have to be flexible on how to make that transition. And it's going to depend on you, your circumstances, your background, your skill set, the role you're going for, for a more dedicated cybersecurity role. It's just a lot of factors in there involved there. But number one thing is just be flexible and, and understand that it's not going to always work out the way that you want it to. Sometimes you have to be flexible to how it's going to work out for your greater good. Um, some of the other questions I get around like internships and stuff, I, I don't, I've, um, actually I did do an internship many, many, I mean, this was, I think like over 20 years ago, uh, at this point, but I, I, back in the dot-com era, I did an internship that turned into a, a full-time job, um, within a short period. I mean, it was, uh, within a week they were hiring me on in an actual, uh, role, uh, at the organization and all I did I had no technical skills so this is I mean, this is what I'm saying like you can get a job without technical skills so I, I was supposed to do an internship in uh, networking I forget the title they gave it network engineer intern or something like that uh, but anyways I, I, I had no skills right I had turned on a computer before but I had like no skills so I read a book on the flight out there uh, from the uh, I think it was like Sam's teach yourself whatever topic in 24 hours so I picked a networking one and I learned enough about networking on the flight over, I read through the entire book and I was able to talk my way through the internship interview enough to be able to get, get the role. And then I learned everything. I taught myself everything on the job. And so it threw me out there and I just, I had to learn everything. Uh, it was grueling. It was, a, I, I, mean, I put in 16 to 18 hour days, like every day. Right. But within a week, or I think it's maybe two weeks within a couple of weeks, I was hired in an actual like full-time role, um, for a junior network engineer. I'm saying that to say that, I haven't done like the, the traditional internship thing. Uh, I always focused on like when I did that one, I was like, I need to get a job because I got to pay bills, right? So I got I to gotta make this happen. So when we talk, when I get the question, like, how do I get internships, whether paid or unpaid, go look at the company you want to internship at. But the thing I would say is that stop looking at big companies unless you really want to put the effort into to go get those internships. You're more likely or, or it might be a better option for you to go to a smaller company and ask them about an internship where it's not advertised. I, I found in my in my career, a lot of times if I ask a smaller company like, hey, do you have anything like this available? Sometimes you're just literally waiting for someone to ask and then they create that role for you. And it's just the fact that they have the extra budget, they were thinking about it, but they didn't know like kind of how to start. And then here you come out of the blue with an email or a LinkedIn message and you say, hey, have you do you have any internships in this? Then they're like, oh, we literally just had a conversation in a meeting about this and just got budget allocated for that type of role. Um, can you can you tell me more about your skill set, right? And then all of a sudden you've got that internship and you didn't have to apply and, and try to have Google pick you, right? And yes, there's benefits to go into a big company like Google, but for your internship, but still, in internships and internship, if it's part of your college degree program as a requirement, just get it, get it, get the experience, and that's really what matters in the end. So another question I get is kind of that catch 22, right? It's how do I actually get that cybersecurity experience, but nobody wants to hire me because I don't have experience. So like, what do I do? One of the best things you can actually do is volunteer work. I know you're like, oh gosh, I got to give up my time. I want to watch Netflix or whatever. But the reality is you got to sacrifice to get where you want to go in life. 
And so you can volunteer through various projects like the OWASP project or other open source projects out there. Uh, something else you can do is as you're learning things, film yourself doing them, right? So let's say that you're learning about Nmap, for example. Just film a, a short video. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just film a video of you doing something in Nmap, showing that you actually have that skill. That counts as experience. Home labs, that stuff counts as experience. You built your own lab or you're, you're building your own VMs and stuff. Record all that stuff. Document all that stuff. Nobody knows it unless you tell people. So record and document all that stuff, and that will count as your experience. And that can be the thing that actually separates you from somebody else that just has certifications. I also want to just mention real quick that this may be a little longer type video. We're already at, uh, I think, around like 20-ish minutes or so. So this episode is going to be longer than, than usual, but understand that I'm trying to go through a lot of the questions here to really help uh, people out there that have these questions. So another question I get is like, what resume tips do you have? Should I just have like a one-page resume? What should I put on my resume? Um, here's my perspective on it, and it may differ from career coaches and all these people trying to sell you their uh, they're, you know, $1,000 packages of just writing you a resume. Look, at the end of the day, your resume needs to, needs to convey your impact, right? It needs to clearly show like what you've actually done for an organization, because then I can imagine you doing that same thing for my company. So at the top of the resume, typically what I'll do, um, I do a combination. You know, some people say put bullet points, some people say put kind of a summary. Uh, I do I do both. Like I recommend people do both. So bullet points should be like some key things. And usually I try to tie these into whatever job that the person might be applying for. So, uh, you know, skills, right? So for example, let's say a job's asking you to have Nmap and SIM tool experience and uh, maybe some Python. Those would be the bullet points, right? If you've got those skills, don't just make stuff up. But if you've got those skills, those would be bullet points. And then in the summary, kind of that paragraph at the top, just talk about like what, what you actually do. Don't say I'm responsible for blah, 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 uh, or I did blah, blah, blah. Say I helped, you know, reduce the cost of this pro You know, I, I helped, I helped uh, it reduce the number of tickets in our ticketing system, our support tickets by doing this, right? Or I helped the sales team close a deal by doing this. Like show the actual impact that you've had. That's also a place to throw in something that maybe could be a conversation starter, right? Um, so for example, if I was like actually going to try to get a job and, and put a resume out there, I, I would probably put something in my summary part or that, that par first paragraph there about like having a TV show, right? Or having a podcast or just something different. So, so they say, oh, this resume is different. Let me read this one versus my resume looking exactly like somebody else's, right? Because when you think of a hiring manager, they're looking at thousands of resumes potentially. Everything starts looking the same. But if you see bullet points and you see a first paragraph, you're going to look at that stuff. And in that first paragraph, if someone is talking about their podcast or, or whatever, you might, you're going to set that resume to the side because you want to look at it a little further usually. So that's, that's my tip on resume stuff. Don't worry about the one page thing and all that. Nobody cares. I mean, I, there's, there's, some people that are like, it can be only one page. Look, if there's some job description asking you to just send over a one-page resume, then don't apply for that job. The company's going to suck. So don't don't work at that company. Go to a place where you can really tell who you are, right? Really share the, the impact that you've had. Uh, another question I get is like, what what do I actually say in an interview? So I always looked at interviews as basically a sales call, right? A sales meeting. And so... 
there's always two sides to every sales transaction. Somebody's always buying, somebody's always selling. Whether or not you're actually selling like, a, you know, a physical or tangible thing, or you're just selling yourself to that company uh, on the same side, that company needs to sell themselves to you, right? So what should I say during an interview is a very, very broad question and, and would have a lot of different answers. But what I will say is that you need to clearly convey and just reiterate the points in your resume that show your impact or your potential impact to the organization. You also need to practice a lot of the common interview questions. It helps you when you go in there and they're like, well, tell me about a time you did this, right? Or tell me about a time you worked in a team. You know, there's, there's literally like probably a hundred or, or 200 questions that like every company asks over and over again, right? Like there's, there's, there's a very finite, finite list of, um, of, of questions that are like behavioral type questions that they ask. Now they might ask them in different ways, but if you, if you kind of practice those things, then that part of the interview is easy for you. Right. And then it just becomes a part of it's a technical interview of the technical side. Like, do you have the skills? Can you actually convey the information? And also if you don't know something like, how do you actually convey that, right? Do you, do you openly say, look, I don't, I don't actually know that. Or do you try to make it up as you go and, and see if they'll notice that you really don't know what you're talking about? So once you can handle kind of the behavior side of questions, it becomes a lot easier. So going back to what I talked about, about, about sales, uh, you want to control the conversation, right? And sometimes you can, especially in an interview, because they're asking you questions and, you know, they're expecting to get certain responses and certain answers. And based off that, they ask you questions because they've got a certain checklist in most companies that they have to go through uh, for HR to say, yeah, we ask these questions and we feel that this person, you know, fit this criteria or whatever. You need to also come prepared with your own questions to ask them and say, well, why, why is this? One of the things I, I, I um, used to pitch back if I didn't understand a question around a technology and specifically the, the, I wouldn't understand like, why would this company be trying to use that? I would ask that I'd be like, well, so, you know, number one, I appreciate the question, but I'm trying to understand like how this organization would be using this technology. And then what I would do is I would go into sort of a brief explanation of that technology. So they knew I knew what I was talking about, but I would say, like, I'm just not understanding how it would fit here in this use case. And nine times out of 10, from what I can recall, they were just throwing a question out. It wasn't that they were trying to use that in the organization because it wasn't relevant, that particular technology, but they just were kind of going off that traditional list of technology questions. So, I say always ask questions and I have questions about the organization. You, again, you need to have them sell, sell you on, on why you would want to work there. Right? So I always would also ask the interviewer, what do you, what's the number one thing you like about working here? And I can tell you right now, from my experience, if someone answers that with just like one thing, then it's probably like an average company or they're making up an answer or they're just trying to tell you what you want to hear. But usually if it's a really good company to work for and, and they're happy there, then they'll say it's tough to do just something like it's tough to do just one. Right. I, you know, I say my number one is this, but I really think that this other thing is something else I like. Right. So, for example, man, I really love the people here. The environment is just very, a very supportive environment. And I also really, really like that I can talk to the executive leadership when I need to and get answers about the strategic direction of the company. You notice I didn't just give one answer there, right? I gave two because, hey, I'm really passionate about this company. That's what you're looking for when you ask a question like that. Who cares about the single answer they give you? That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. It, it really doesn't tell you anything. But if they're very happy and they're happy at the company, they really like it, then they're more likely to actually give you more than one answer 
And that's the company that you want to work at. So you need to figure out like, all right, how can I make sure that I'm showcasing myself to this company in the best light? Because this is a place that I actually want to work. Other thing I'll say about interviews, um, this is coming from a lot of the, the women uh, in the industry that I interact with. Look, if someone's sexual and harassing you or being racist to you, and even if they're not not outright calling you like a racial slur, but you know they're being racist, like we, we all can tell, right? We're all grownups. We know. Uh, and you know, you can trust your gut. Why would you ever want to work at the company, right? Honestly, why would you ever want to work there? Because if that person, like that person is supposed to represent the best of the company, right? They're the best of the company. That's why they're interviewing you. And if they suck, like, honestly, who cares what the benefits are? The company sucks. Why, why would you want to work there? And even if you do take a job there, you should always be looking for a better place to work because it's going to be a sucky company and you're going to hate it long term. So don't tolerate that stuff. Look, I, I, I tell uh, my, my business clients, you own that room already, right? I tell a lot of people I, I mentor the same thing. It's your room right? You already own the table at that room. Go in there and take it. Don't, don't go in there like, I need this job. I, like, please, please give me a job. That doesn't work. Go in there like you own the place and you don't even need this job. That's how you get the job. When you walk in there with confidence, like, hey, I don't, I don't really need this in your head. It's great if it works out, but if it doesn't, eh, no big deal. That's when you normally get that job offer and you normally get the job offer for more money than you even asked for and better benefits. Um, another, uh, another thing I get around like the job aspect is how do I find like international jobs? I get this a lot from my audience in India. It's just, it, it really depends on the company, um, especially cause you've got to think about things like visas now. I mean, right now during this episode, it, we're in the pandemic still. So there is a lot of flexibility of remote work, uh, but you just, you really have to focus on the companies, right? Start at the company, figure out the companies you don't want to work for and what industry, and then from there, you can figure out like what are their policies around uh, immigration or visas, or do they hire remote workers? And you can connect with their employees on LinkedIn and ask them. You can just ask like, hey, do you know, do you know anyone in HR that I can talk to you? I just want to find out. I got this question around immigration or visas to be able to work for your company. Or I, I got a question like, do you know if they offer remote work jobs at all? Um, you know, even if it's not posted right now, I just want to know like, kind of the policies around that. Normally people will tell you as long as they don't sense you're trying to do a social engineer attack against them. So that's where I would start. I would start with the companies and asking them those questions. A similar question is around, hey, what university programs will sponsor my visa? Start with a country that you want to live in. And that's where you can look at the university programs and see, um, for example, like a master's program. Will they sponsor a visa while you're there in school? Uh, and then you graduate or whatever. And I would say if you're looking at university programs in another country, then you want to make sure that there's some kind of co-op as part of that program. What does that mean? That just means that you'll actually be going to work for local employers during your program. Like it's required for you to graduate to work and get experience on the job. You want that, right? Because then when you get out of school, you've got actual job experience. And in most cases, when it's a co-op thing, that company you've been working at throughout your education, they hire you. In a, in a full-time role. In fact, a lot of people get hired before they graduate because the company's like, man, they're really, really good. I don't want to let them go to my competitor. So look for programs with a co-op. Don't look for programs that just, you know, sit there and promise you all these extravagant things. But at the end of the day, they have a career services website and it's literally just gives you some very generic resume information. There's no actual job help. So go to programs that have co-ops if you're going to go to another country for your education.
Some of the other questions I get are around like branding, personal branding, or even uh, branding your business if you decide to start like a consulting company. So a lot of ways you can answer this. Leverage LinkedIn. Let me tell you why. Other social media like Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, all this stuff is a bunch of noise. What do I mean by that? You might be like, there's people that are popular and making money on there. Yeah, that's great. But there's so many people on those platforms posting and all that stuff. However, LinkedIn... I, I forget the staff from LinkedIn. It's like one or 2% of people actually post. Most people are consumers. They're not producers on LinkedIn. So if you're trying to brand yourself, go to LinkedIn and figure out like, what do you want people to, what do you want the marketplace is, is what I call it with my uh, business clients. What do you want the marketplace to say about you, right? Which is your, you know, your companies you want to work at, or your hiring managers, whatever. What do you want them to say about you? If you want them to say you're the world's greatest pen tester, then everything about your brand on LinkedIn needs to be around pen testing, right? You need to put videos about the different tools and stuff you're using and showing people things. You need to be posting about that, sharing articles about different hacks and stuff like that. Everything should be pen testing, right? If you want to be the world, if you want people to know you as an auditor, everything should be around auditing. You shouldn't be trying to put pen testing stuff there unless it relates to auditing. So you get, hopefully you get what I'm saying there. Like figure out what you want people to to think of when they see see your picture or your name, and that's how you brand yourself effectively on social media. Another question I get is is around degrees and certifications, and I'm gonna kind of kind of answer this one pretty broadly. So it's really like, should I get a college degree, uh, and, and or should I get certification? Should I get one or the other? Should I do boot camp? Like, how should I get educated? You don't need any of that, right? And I know that's shocking. You don't need any of that. You just need the skills. Now, that being said, certifications can help you get past an HR um, screen. College degrees, that's great if you've got the money. I wouldn't go into debt to get a college degree uh, because you don't actually need it until you move into managerial types of roles. I've seen a lot of people getting master's degrees in cybersecurity because they're trying to transition into a role and they can't find jobs. Well, because you've got a master's degree, but you don't have any actual skills, right? Like you don't, you don't have experience or skills. So you're in the same category as somebody that just graduated high school that doesn't have the skills or anything as well. So what I would say in that situation, let's say you did go, you know, you're, you're listening to this and you already got your master's in cybersecurity, but you have no experience. Look, you've got a master's degree. So go be an adjunct professor for some universities. And yeah, it's going to suck because you don't get paid a lot at all. Uh, I'm speaking from experience. I made like a couple hundred bucks um, the one semester I taught as an adjunct. But you're getting the, the you're able to get an actual job you can put on your resume, right? Adjunct professor of, you know, hacking or whatever, right? So you're actually getting that on your resume, and that's really what you need. Uh, the other thing it does is it gives you credibility because it's, hey, you're teaching at a university level. It also... Um, helps you network a little better when people see that you're a professor of something. So if you've got a master's degree in cybersecurity and you're sitting there right now listening to this saying, man, I need a, I need a job in cybersecurity. I want to make the transition, but I can't afford to give up my current job to go do that until I know I can get a good paying job. Then go be an agent professor uh, at a university part-time and get that skill set on your resume for you know six months, a year, or whatever, and then start to try to apply for jobs at that point. Yes, it sucks. You got to wait, but that's reality of it. Now, going back to certifications, I get a lot of questions around CEH. I never recommend people get the CEH uh, certification unless it's being paid for somehow by somebody else. It's just way too expensive for EC Council certs, in my opinion, for what you get back. Um, and that's just my opinion. And I write exam questions for for them, right? I take their beta tests and stuff. So 
I'm speaking from a place of someone that's got the cert and, and gone through that and written questions for their exams, et cetera. I don't think the cost justifies the end result, right? So for certifications, the way I would start it is I would look at the jobs I want and then I would figure out the certs that they're asking for in that job and I would go get those, right? And you got to be, again, take that with a grain of salt because some of the job postings want 72 certs and you don't need 72 certs to get a job. Um, if you're just like, well, I still don't know what certifications I want, I personally recommend some fundamental cloud certs because that's going to separate you. Yes, it's beneficial to get Security Plus and Net Plus and all these things, but at the end of the day, tens of thousands of people already have those certs. And so if you've got those certs, you're just one person in it and you're the needle in the hay, you're, you're, you're one needle in the haystack, right? But if you get some cloud certs and you, and you understand kind of how the cloud works and you understand networking the, with the cloud, and you know, of course you got to understand Linux because the cloud is on Linux servers for the most part. If you understand the cloud and you get some fundamental cloud certs of Azure and AWS and maybe Google, then you your resume looks a little more attractive to that potential employer, especially considering that a very small amount of companies have fully migrated to the cloud or, or migrated a, a larger portion of their on-prem to the cloud. Over the next two to, to five to 10 years, we're gonna see a lot more companies migrating their data to the cloud and guess who they're gonna need? They're not gonna need Sec Plus, right? They're not gonna need Network Plus people. They're gonna need people with cloud training, cloud certs that, that know how to build out architectures in the cloud. That's what they need. So if I were you and listening to this and I was like, what search should I get? Go get cloud. And you can you can learn, learn cloud stuff for pretty cheap. You can go to uh, Udemy, um, has some, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Cantrell.io, I think is the name is, of his uh, website uh, as well. That's another source. He's got pretty low cost courses. You can, uh, Station X has, I think, a cloud bundle there. You can get some training. A Cloud Guru is one of the big ones in the space. Uh, their monthly membership is pretty low cost and, and you can you can learn cloud uh, through them and actually get hands-on labs. They also have, uh, I think, a couple of courses still on Udemy that you can buy for 10 bucks or whatever uh, in your particular area uh, for some of the fundamental cloud certs. So it's very low cost to get the cloud certs and most of them cost, depends on which one you take, but let's just call it $200, $250 US. Uh, that, of course, probably varies based off where you are in the world. It's probably a lot less in certain countries. So it's the best, uh, in my opinion, the best ROI for your money uh, if you're going to be doing that. So the final thing I want to, well, the final couple of things I want to cover in this episode, uh, I get questions around, um, because I, I accomplish a lot, right? And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to be realistic, right? When people learn everything that I do just in a week, they're like, oh my gosh, like, how do you even do that, right? So for me, I want to talk, I get a question around like, you know, how do you do that? How do you stay focused? How do you manage like stress and stuff like that? And look, the way I do it, I do, I do several things, you know, I do meditation, you know, exercise, stuff like that. But really what it boils down to is, is focusing on that end goal, right? So a couple of the exercises I do to, to remain focused are, uh, number one, I do something that's called circle of focus. And I didn't, I didn't make that term up. That's coined by somebody else, but there's circle of focus. So essentially you take a piece of paper, draw a circle, and then in that piece of paper, you jot down the first thing that, that you're doing, right? So maybe it's, um, maybe it's uh, building your LinkedIn profile, right? So you're, you're trying to brand yourself on LinkedIn. So you jot that down. And then 
you also wanted to brand yourself on Twitter. So now you write down Twitter and then you got to draw a line because you got to split that pie in half because now because you've only got half your time focused on Twitter and half your time focused on LinkedIn, right? If you just had LinkedIn in there, all your effort would be focused on LinkedIn. But now you split it because now you're trying to do Twitter. And let's say now you're trying to do TikTok for some reason because you want your data stolen because you see everybody they're they're getting thousands of millions of followers and whatever and so you're getting excited about that so you go download tiktok and you start using that so now you got to split your circle in three right because only a third of your time's going to linkedin 30 of your time's going to twitter 30 of your time's going to tiktok and for everything that you add in there right now i'm learning cloud now i'm learning this I'm learning that you got to keep drawing lines and splitting up your pie pretty soon you're going to realize that like you're, you're all, everything's used and, and you're giving 1% effort to everything or even less and you're not going to be successful because you're giving all your time and your effort away to all these different things. You need to get focused, right? So the circle of focus really helps you understand, okay, well, what I'm doing all these things, what's really the priority right now, right? I want to get a job as a cloud architect. So yeah, TikTok and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter, all those things are nice, but I need to learn cloud. I need to start by getting my cloud practitioner cert from AWS, right? So that should be the only thing in my circle of focus, or that should be the majority of my focus in my circle of focus, not all that other stuff, right? So it really helps you kind of chop out that stuff you don't need. Um, the other thing that I do um, is uh, I, I for, my, for my goals, what I do is I, I basically draw a, a a line on a piece of paper, and so on the on the right side. And I'm I'm here in the U.S., so we go left to right. I know other parts of the world, you may read uh, right to left, uh, but just adapt this to to your particular uh, what you do, right? Uh, how how you do things. So basically, on the right side of the piece of paper, I jot down whatever the ultimate goal is, right? And and this is a broad goal. It could be could be freedom of time, money. It could be you know. Uh, leaving the company I'm at, it could be what, whatever, right? Different things. Could be just learning cloud certs, right? Could be becoming a cloud architect. And so I write that on the right side. On the left side, I write where I'm at. And and then what I do is I draw a line between the two. And throughout that line, what I do is I, I make a little dash and I and I just kind of take a I take a minute and I think about okay. What are the steps I would need to do? What are some of the major steps I would need to do to to get there, right? So let's just use the cloud. I want to be a cloud architect thing, right? So I would say, okay, I'm starting, let's say I'm starting from nothing, right? Maybe I've been a network engineer or something, and now I want to do the cloud. And so the, all, the end goal is getting a cloud architect job, right? And so now I'm like, all right, cool. So I need to learn cloud certs. And so each dash, you know, would to make it easy, each dash would be a cloud cert that I need to learn to learn enough and be able to actually architect infrastructure in the cloud to get that cloud architect role. Cause I know, you know, I've, I've researched some interview questions and I've seen some examples and I know what I need to do. I just need to learn to get there. Right. So the dashes that I would have on that line would be every cert that I would need or every bit of training I would need or the task I would need to do or the skills I need to build to get me to that point. Right. Does that make sense? So it's essentially just allowing me to visually map out like my journey. Right. And granted it's going to change as I go through it, it's going to evolve over time, but this is a good way when you're starting out to kind of map out like what's your ultimate goal and, and where you need to go. Let's say, for example, it's it's a money goal, right? You want to you want to retire 10 years early so you can take your spouse around the world and travel. Um, well, let's make an easier example. You want to become a multimillionaire. Nine times out of 10, you're not going to do that by working for someone else, right? Or by only working for someone else. You can do it, but it's very rare that you're going to be able to achieve that type of, of goal and maintain it 
by being an employee and only being an employee for someone else, uh, with the exception of you working at a big company or getting stock and it converting, et cetera. So we're going to take all that out of it. We're going to focus on the average Joe or Jane here, right? And they're trying to become a multimillionaire and maintain, maintain it. And they want to work their job to a certain point, but at some point they want to leave their job, right? So there's, that's our scenario. So what we would put at our endpoint there, I would put multimillionaire, right? That'd be the endpoint. And I put my starting point, I draw a line between the two. Now, that journey, I'm going to, I'm going to put a tick, uh, a little line there. I'm going to say, all right, you know, my job, right? So that's one thing. And, and, and maybe below that, I'll write my salary or something. So I know, okay, I'm making this, let's say I'm making a hundred thousand. So, okay, I'm making a hundred thousand. I want to be a multimillionaire, but I don't want to work anymore. So for me to make a million, and I'm making a hundred thousand a year. That takes me 10 years just at my base salary. That doesn't account for taxes or whatever. So that's a long time. What else can I put on here? Well, I do have knowledge, so maybe I can write a book, right? So I make a little line and I put book, right? Ebook or, or physical book, whatever. Um, and then maybe I'm like, well, you know what? A lot of people have been asking me to create a course on, uh, you know, threat intelligence. And so maybe I can create a course on that, you know, so I jot down courses, right, as an option. And then I say, well, you know what, I've spoken at conferences, maybe I can go around and kind of speak at schools or companies and, and just educate their staff. So I put a tick there for public speaking, right? And that's what I do. I'm just kind of visually mapping out different ways that I can make money. And so as I go through and I do all these things, I write a book, I create courses, I start doing speaking gigs, et cetera, et cetera. Other things are going to come that I didn't think of. Uh, like you know, in my example, uh, uh, in my personal life, having a TV show, I never thought of it, right? I never thought of having a TV show, but it comes to you as you're going through the journey of your ultimate goal. And so that's why we mind map it out like that. So there's a couple of things I do to, to stay laser focused, et cetera. The other thing you have to understand of accomplishing a lot of things and being successful in life at anything is it's going to take sacrifice. You're not going to be able to watch those shows you want to watch. In fact, I don't, I watch a movie maybe once a month if I'm lucky I have time. Uh, I don't get to watch TV like at all. I don't actually don't watch TV at all, um, but I don't get to like go on Netflix or Amazon and, and look at stuff like really ever because I, I'm busy. I'm busy doing other things that get me to my my goal because I know at that point I do whatever I want, right? Like I I'll, I'll watch I'll binge watch Netflix for four weeks straight, right, and do nothing else because I've reached whatever the goals I've I've set for my my life. And for me, I've got some very um, ambitious goals that allow me to help a lot, lot more people. Um, and so it, it takes sacrifice, right? That's what I'm getting at. It takes sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice time. If you've got a family, the best thing I've found, communicate it. Communicate to them of what your goal is and why you're doing it and say, look, it's going to take sacrifice for, you know, three months or six months or a year or whatever. But at the end of that, you're going to get to see dad more, right? You're going to get to see mom more and I'll be able to spend more time with you. So yeah, for the short period of time, you won't, you know, an hour a day, you got to leave me alone so I can study. But when it's all over, we're going to be able to spend more time together, we have more money, we'll be able to travel, move out of the bad neighborhood, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we, we talk about those things for, for focus and stuff. Now, let's move right into um, the other question I get is kind of around like money things. And, and usually like, how do I build additional streams of income? Well, I just gave you all the ideas, right? Books, courses, et cetera. Um, you'll find when you, when you go to create like online courses, I typically recommend people, um, start with like their first course, like start with a platform site, just so you can get the course building thing done and over with. And that's assuming that you don't, aren't trying to sell, uh, what's, what's called a high ticket 
um, course or program, right? So high ticket depends on what your perception is of that. But generally speaking, uh, three to $5,000 or above US um, for the price of that thing, right? It could be a coaching program, course, whatever. Uh, that's usually considered a, a higher ticket thing. So we're assuming you're not doing that. We're assuming you're just kind of, you want to share your knowledge with people, but still make some kind of passive income where you don't have to spend all your time once you've created a course actually doing things, right? So that's where a platform site, you know, maybe like a udemy.com would be beneficial because you create the course once, you maybe you're going to have to make some updates and interact with students a little bit, but for the most part, your course is just there and they bring traffic to their marketplace and people find your course and they buy it. And that's it. It's pretty much a passive source of income, right? So that's a way that I recommend you, you do it if you're looking for the more passive route. Now, if you're looking at high ticket stuff, I never build a high ticket thing without making sure it sells first. What do I mean by that? I normally run like a beta thing or so a beta group. So for example, let's say that I wanted to teach uh, real estate agents how to, I know we're not talking about cyber here, but this is a good example. Um, let's say I wanted to, to, to teach real estate agents how to market themselves better via Facebook and Instagram ads, and then also as well as kind of across the board on social media of what they should post, what people are interested in, et cetera, right? Um, and that is actually an offering that I have in, in, in my business for real estate agents. And so what I did is I had a beta group, right? I didn't, I didn't just go out there and, and film a, you know, a 90 hour course on something and hope it sells. No, I had a beta group. I found some real estate agents to know, helped them out with their stuff, charged them, you know, I charged them the high ticket price. Um, cause I don't work for free, but I was able to get results for them and focus. I gave them even above and beyond, right? I always go above and beyond for clients. And so I gave them above and beyond what they were needing, got them really, really good results that other people, other agencies couldn't get them. And because of that, now I've got reviews and then I can, you know, get more people in the program at that point, get more reviews. And then I can start raising the price of the program, you know, at, at certain, um, uh, on a certain timeline. But I never create anything high ticket at all without doing a beta group, right? Because it doesn't make any sense. Why put all this effort in and, and, um, and, and make no money? And the reason I'm saying that is because I, I, I have experience, right? My very first course, well, yeah, first couple of courses I created um, over on Udemy that are now, take, I took them down because they were, they were absolutely horrible. Um, and I'm fine saying that, right? Because you, you learn, you evolve, you get better over time, over the years. And so these courses I just cre I just created. There was there was no demand that I found. I didn't do any market research really. I was just like, oh, this is a good idea. Let me create a course. So I spent basically a year creating all these these courses. You know, one of them took me literally a year to to do, and then the other one took a few weeks. But it was absolutely horrible, and I made less than twenty dollars from all that effort. Like I took all this time and put hundreds of hours in making these things, and there was like no money made. Right. And they still didn't make any money. Like that was all they made. It was $20. Uh, they didn't make anything else. Um, and for some people that was, that's good, right? And for me, it was a good win because I was like, oh, I made money while I was at dinner. I didn't have to do anything to make the money, but I did. I had to put hundreds of hours in of work. And so that's why I, I say, if you're going to do a high ticket, don't just create it. If you're going to do a lower ticket price, like put it on a platform site, do your research first on that site make sure that your topic's selling or that it's going to sell or at least if it's not selling well, you'll know kind of a, a, a financial range that it would live in or sell at. And so that will help you say, all right, well, I know I'm not going to make millions necessarily off this, but I know the average instructor with this type of course 
or this topic area makes, let's say 200 bucks a month or 700 bucks a month or whatever. Cool. That covers my car payment, right? Or, or something, right? Or that covers my electric bill or my, my cell phone bill. And so that's, that's the two ways to do it. The two schools of thought are the low ticket, high ticket. When we talk about actual things to do, that's just books, courses. I mean, public speaking, that's consulting work. That's, there's so many ways to make money online. Um, you can do the freelance work stuff. You can just, you can, if you're good at coding, you can write programs and sell them. You can, uh, I mean, you can do copywriting. You, there's, you can create ads for people like I do. There's so many things you can do to make money. It's just, you got to figure out, do I want to charge a little or and not have to do a whole lot of work with it after I create it? Or do I want to charge a more premium price and have to put in more effort because I have to be able to produce results? So it just really, it really kind of depends on what you want to do there. Um, another question I get is around marketing cybersecurity companies. I, the reason I can't answer that particular one, uh, it's just because that's an offering I have in my company. So, it's, I mean, I'll give you generic information, which is number one, use LinkedIn. Uh, I would also consider investing in Sales Navigator. But the the thing to be able to search out potential prospects, the thing to keep in mind, though, is you don't need to pay for any of these social media sites, Right. Like I know there's benefits to having premium or sales navigator access on LinkedIn or whatever, but the reality is you can, if you've got like a consulting business, you can go to some obscure parts of the country, uh, like the U S for example, like search in Iowa for, for, for some small, small area of Iowa or even a big city and just search for like whatever service you're offering, search for job postings that are looking for someone with that skill set. And then all you got to do is reach out to that company and say, hey, I know you're, you've got a job on this. I see it's been up for six months. I'm not interested in, in, in the job, but I, I have a company that does X consulting. And I mean, if you want, we can talk further about like what that would look like to kind of cover, give you guys coverage on that until you're able to actually fill that position. Would you like to have that conversation, right? You know, so that's another way you can find potential clients without spending money on ads or um, without, uh, you know, using like Sales Navigator or something. So again, that's a free little tip for you, but I can't really go into actual um, strategy without, you know, charging you. So, so I mean, there's, there's a lot more um, questions that I, that I do get that are kind of common questions. I am in the process of uh, rewriting my Cyber Life book that I was going to come out with earlier this year. I had, had uh, done, and then COVID hit. And we had the, our nice pandemic and we got to, you know, see all the chaos in the world and, and unfortunately a lot of people displaced, et cetera. So I wanted to revisit that book and, and make it a little more relevant to actually answering a lot of these questions. So um, my book will be coming soon. So I, I, there's a lot more questions that people ask me that I'm going to break down in the book. Uh, and I'll actually give you some, some strategies, especially around like online course creation. Of how do you actually, uh, you know, do like, like your offer, right? Like how do you actually determine things like the market research, like that people actually want this thing, that you're actually solving a problem, not just having a commodity type of offer. Like, so all that stuff's going to be in the book because I want to, I want, I want the book to be not just a book you read. I want it to be a reference, right? So it's going to cover job stuff. It's going to cover um, negotiation type of stuff, like some of the tactics or some of the, you know, I'll have some like sample conversations in there or whatever of, uh, of negotiation and also some sales conversations, some, some sample sales, um, conversations as well to help you develop your sales skills because soft skills stuff like that is very very important um yeah as, as far as you know emotional intelligence as well things like that in there 
how do you position yourself properly, both, you know, from a branding perspective as well as from kind of a thought leader perspective? Uh, and then general information, uh, general uh, information around like, you know, security things like, you know, what about frameworks, you know? Uh, what should I learn like with the cloud? You know, it's just a lot of general questions like that. So just keep an eye out. That book will be uh, coming soon. I'm still in the process of uh, writing it. So probably a few more weeks of uh, uh, finishing it up. Uh, then it's got to go to editor and all that stuff. So hopefully I can get it launched by the end of this year. If not, um, plan for it in January 2021. New year, new you, right? We'll start off fresh. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Really just wanted to go through and answer a lot of the questions I get. And hopefully this is helpful to someone out there. Uh, don't forget to go to cyberlife.tv. You can uh, put your email down there. You can use a, a email block uh, uh, obfuscation service and put you know, that email in there, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not, I'm not selling you anything on that email list. Like you're literally just going to get some updates about the show. I, I'm not selling on that email list. Um, at some point I'll redo the site and there'll be some options for, you know, you want to buy courses or whatever, but, but for right now there's, I'm not, there's nothing for sale. It's literally just going to send you some pics of, of when we filmed uh, for the show, uh, as well as once I get some of the videos back over the next few weeks here, um, I, I did just um, hear back while I was filming this. I was checking my uh, messaging and um, they're putting commercials in the episodes or whatever right now. And then I should get that back within the next week or two so I can finally uh, see the final product uh, of the show, which I'm super, super excited about. Uh, and then I'll take like a chunk of that and share it out with people that have signed up for that email list. Um, again, I'm not I'm telling you right now, I'm, I'm just doing the email list so I can actually contact people. So I don't have to put it on a social media and have it stolen. I just want to put the content out to people that actually took the time to put their information down on that list. So again, not selling you anything on that list. I'm not going to even tell you, but I may, I may tell you about my book when it launches, just so you're aware of it, but that's it. Like, I'm not going to say, buy my course on X. You got to, you know, it's only up for 48 hours. You know, I, we've all seen those emails, right? Like I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm a genuine guy. And people tell you that, that have met me at conferences. Like I, we're all here just trying to do the right thing and, and trying to learn and trying to, you know, have, have a good life and enjoy it while we can. Um, and it's the right thing to do is just give you the information you need. Right. So hopefully this episode was helpful. Don't forget cyberlife.tv. Go there. Uh, also follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I'll be giving updates on the show. Like as once I know when it's actually going to launch in January, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we don't have any more technical issues, but it doesn't look like it looks like they've worked out those kinks. Uh, and so once it's ready to launch, I'll let everyone know uh, and keep you updated. So cyberlife.tv, so it's not cyberlife.com, but cyberlife.tv, uh, as well as um, over on LinkedIn. So just be sure to uh, make sure you're following me over there as well.